everybody. Welcome to the show. In this episode, me and Dan had a continuation of our summertime scouting episode we did on Tuesday. And we just answered all the questions that we kind of didn't get to on Tuesday, plus a whole bunch more. It was a really good night. Had a lot of information that spewed out of Dan's mouth. So you don't want to miss a second of this one before we get into the episode. Got to tell you about what my sponsors have going on. Exodus has something cool going on. It's their eighth year anniversary, which is one of their biggest sales of the year. So starting today, May 19th, or anytime after May 19th, up until June 12th or while supplies last, you can save 25% off their entire Exodus website. And they're doing something real cool for Before the Echo listeners. If you guys use the code BTE at checkout, you get to save that 25% off. I've also left a link in the description. If you guys just use that link, it'll automatically uh, go to their website, and that BTE code will automatically be put into your cart. So when you check out, you'll get that 25% discount. That's right, 25% off. That includes the Exodus Render, the, the brand-new Rival, which I got a, a handful of those now. I'm going to get them out and start using them. I heard some really, really good positive feedback on that uh, that new camera they have out, any of their arrows, merch, anything, site-wide. You get their five-year no BS warranty, um, some of the best customer service in the industry, as well as just a great group of guys that uh, you can you can put your, your trust in as far as cameras go. Pretty cool, guys. If you haven't checked out Exodus, get on their website, exodusoutdoorgear.com. And use the code BTE to save 25% off. Also, want to give a shout out to Osseo Gear. It's a, a great option for white to hunters. They've developed a premium line of bow hunting gear that will rival any other clothing on the market in quality. Plus, you got a lifetime warranty on anything you buy from Osseo. They have a super unique camo pattern and great technology in their garments to keep you comfortable on the stand. Just go to ASIO gear.com to get you some premium hunting clothing plus joe and those guys are are also great guys also gotta thank hunting beast gear makers of the best mobile stick and stand on the market in my opinion there's no other stand that gives you the weight to room ratio as the beast stand does and anybody that, that tries one out seems like they're extremely happy with it also, their stick is known as the, the best on the market. It also was kind of the trailblazer in the mobile hunting industry, one of the first truly mobile sticks on, on the market. If you guys haven't got your hands on hunting beast gear, you have to come to one of the shows, get your hands on it, borrow a buddy's, try it out. Then visit huntingbeastgear.com and get you a beast stand and sticks. And finally... I got to thank Stealth Outdoors, maker of Stealth Strips. I put that on everything. Um, I just put it on some ladder stands I got out uh, the other day just to quiet them up a, a little bit. I You can u- literally use it on any of your equipment. It really is something that hunters that want to take their gear to the next level should invest in and get you some, some Stealth Strips and silence your gear. Visit StealthOutdoors.com and get some Stealth Strips. Links to all my partners are in the description below. 
<laughs> Evening, everybody. COVID crotch is in there. Stan's in there. <laughs> Zeke's on. Dylan, Brandon, T Tim. If you look through that little hole right there, you can see him. Yep. Yeah. Zeke, you guys... put your pants on. <laughs> oh, that's funny. If my camera's not as clear tonight, it's because I've I'm having some glitchy stuff going on with my good one, so I just unplug it and using this low definition one because I didn't want to have glitching all night. But um, what you been up to, Dan? Did you go turkey hunting yesterday? I went and searched for the front half of my camera from the last turkey hunt. So the uh, oh. the um, yeah lens uh, assembly. Yeah, did you find it? Didn't find it. No, I just I ordered something new. It's the old camera, so I. I was going to order the, the assembly, but it was like 125 bucks. And that camera's pretty beat up. Yeah. I might order it anyways, but there was just a um, just a regular cover that took some of the sun out for, uh, but it didn't have a door to close for $4. Yeah. So I bought that. But uh, we'll see. Yeah. Have you messed with the but new camera yet? Soon. I haven't gotten yeah. out of the package yet, but I just figured uh, now I've got a good chance to. Uh, learn it and stuff yeah. that's the bad part about changing brands is like the like a lot of yeah, the, i always try to stick with the same one and they kind yeah. of switch me they uh all the canon stuff kind of has the same format and then all the sony stuff has the same format and it's not too far off i mean um you'll pick it up pretty quickly uh but then then you're you're you got a tag right now right hmm didn't get on any turkeys yesterday or just kind of didn't try too hard? I didn't even try. I was going to go out turkey hunting, and when I looked, the camera didn't have the thing on it. So I looked all over my truck, and it oh. wasn't in there. So I knew where I hunted last with uh, when I filmed for uh, Rick. So I went and yeah. uh, searched that woods. I didn't even oh, take okay. the gun to the truck. I thought, I thought you just went hunting in the same area or something. Yeah. And then uh, Carol wanted to do something in the dark, so I... I didn't hunt then, and I just came home after I got done searching, and then uh, then she didn't want us, so it wasted an evening. Yep. I saw Big Hunt shot another one last night or yesterday. Yeah, was uh, filming for him. Yep. Yep. That'll uh, maybe that'll get on the Beast Channel. Who knows? I don't know if it will or not. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> sometimes it does. Yep. We are, uh, we're just doing the, a Q&A, kind of a continuation of Tuesday night show, everybody. Since we had call-ins on Tuesday night, we didn't get around to anybody's questions really on the comments. Um, so we were just going to do that tonight. So if you got questions, though, tonight, just leave them in the comments and put that question mark before the comment. That way I know it's a question and I don't have to um, filter through everything and don't get, get behind on them. Um, also, I got to cover a couple things before we start. This is the last week before the Osseo giveaway is over. So if you guys haven't subscribed, that's how you get a chance to win is be, just be a subscriber of this channel and the Hunting Beast. And the Hunting Beast is always in the description of this uh, these shows. So if you guys, I'm sure most of you are familiar with them, but for, with those, those videos we put up over there, but if not, uh, head over there and hit the subscribe button over there. Are we going to give away a bow next week, next next month, Dan? Actually, uh, Jacob uh, sent me an email and he said he would like us to give away a date with him. He said he, mm. it doesn't matter if it's a guy or a girl; it's still right. wine and dine wherever <laughs> it comes. And... Perfect. 
me and Jacob recorded a show at 4 a.m. this morning. You did? Before he, before he went to work. Yep. It's going to come out early. on Wednesday. Were you guys like yawning and sleeping and not saying anything cool? No, I think we were. It was good. We talked about uh, Jacob's very good at uh, using mapping applications, and he kind of went over how he goes about using his mapping applications and what he looks for um, on a like hypothetical piece of property that he made up. It was, nice. it was good. It was good. That should go over pretty good. Yep. So that'll come out next Wednesday. And it's it's one of those shows that's uh, pre-recorded, but it'll, it'll come up. It'll pop up as a live show. So on Wednesday night at 8, for example, it'll be it'll pop up on here and you guys can watch it live. And then it'll be just a video after that, just like all the rest of them are. So um, then another thing, if you notice in the chats, there's a couple, well, a handful of people now that are green. And those are our membership uh, watchers now. So I've had like dozens of people over the last year, like say, we ought to start a membership program to help support the channel. I guess a lot of live streams and things like that do it. Um, essentially, that's, it's just. That's good man. because I thought maybe that was like the color of their hair or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> We've infiltrated the Zeke, the Zeke and Jacob. But. Uh, <laughs> It's it's two ninety nine a month for the the standard subscription, and you guys get like um, emojis you can use. Like there should be some emojis. I don't know exactly how it works. I think maybe Jacob can leave some of the emojis he has on the chat. But I made up some funny emojis that are me, Dan, and Rick essentially, all different faces mm -hmm. and stuff. Cool. Uh, yep. So I think that's basically that's uh, like uh, YouTube's way of having a way to uh, support your channel where people can help support that uh, that want to and people that can't or don't want to don't have to. Yeah, It's kind of a cool thing. I like it. Yeah. I hope that's not the um, it looks kind of weird in the chat. Maybe I just can't see it, but let me know if it's working everybody in the chat. I see the, just, uh, a green dollar sign and uh, the green lettering on everybody's name that's got Yeah. Yep. I see that too, but anyway, there's that, and then there's a there's one that's nine ninety nine, and that's just it's the same thing, but we like you guys more essentially. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do something uh, different for the people that pay the the nine ninety nine, whether that be just like a extra video I make for everybody or something. I'll do something every every month, once a month. I'll just do something. Maybe it'll be just I'll get on there and talk to the people that are um, subscribed and all that kind of stuff, or I don't know what they call it a subscription or just, it's just a membership, but, um, it was, uh, it was actually, wasn't too hard to do. It just took a long time. I actually started it about a month and a half ago. I talked to you about it, Dan, you probably forgot mm -hmm. about it, but, um, oh, I remember it, YouTube just took forever to like approve mm -hmm. everything. You gotta, you gotta send them all, all the information and, um, and they have to approve it. And they just got back with me last night about it approving so that's what that is if you guys want to join you can i think it's right next to the subscribe button is the join button now no no obligation at all nothing's going to change it's just it's just a another way for us to make ends meet on our end um all right let's get into some some q a unless you got anything real cool to talk about dan nothing real cool going <laughs> nothing on nothing exciting happened since tuesday night <laughs> just wednesday <laughs> went by um I'll throw up if anybody joins. I'll throw up. Thanks, Tim, for the the membership and 
Same for you, Photo Bob. Um, I bet you have some cool stuff. You got a cool uh, profile picture. Uh, let's see here. There was a, a couple questions that came through on the Hunt and Beast forum. Um, I was going to do something too. I was going to share my screen because last time we talked about the Beast form, a lot of people didn't know it really even existed, Dan. Mm. So I was just going to like, while I asked this question, I was going to share. Surprising. It, that always surprises me because it's been around so long. It's kind of. Yeah. I think everybody knows about it. But... Mm -hmm. So this is, well, this is my messages here, but. The forum here is it's the huntingbeast.com and uh Dan, how long has it been around? Like 2006 or something you put it up? Yeah, that particular forum's been around 2006. We had one before that that started around, I think, 2000. Yeah. But uh, uh, there was a breakup with my old partners and I went my own way. I didn't like what they were doing. Um, and we, uh, me and my wife and my son built this site. So, yeah. Uh, it's kind of clunky. And one of these days I'll get in there and clean it up. But there is. Um, a lot of members, a lot of them don't post, a lot of them just read. But uh, you can go to places like the Deer Forum. Right here. And, uh, at the top of it somewhere, there's a, a stickied post that has all the greatest um, posts and yep. topics from back all in the 80s and stuff. All-time best tactical threads. And it's right? got some really good content. Unfortunately, yeah. some of the pictures are missing. Um, but, yeah, they're at, um, some of the members um, helped out and uh categorized everything yeah which is, which is really helpful yeah um if you're looking for certain subjects to to learn uh um not only my opinion but other experts um opinions yes. we have discussions back and forth and you know even debate certain topics and stuff some of that could be pretty good right you haven't been in there and you haven't read some of that stuff um you might get lost in there because it's a it's a it's pretty cool stuff yeah there's a, uh, this is where I pull a lot of topics off of, uh, for what we talk about on this mm -hmm. show. I mean, there's just a ton of like really good topics to search around in. Um, anywho, yeah. another great thing about the, the forum, um, is that we do have, um, more than just hunting. I mean, it's a community where people can talk mm -hmm. and unlike other places, we, we allow free speech. So you can talk about anything you want. You can post whatever you want. As long as it do, isn't foul language, you can't yeah. swear, you, and you can't disrespect people. You can disagree, yeah. but you can't disrespect them. Right. So, um, right. Um, but it's a it's a great place where it's you're not infringed like on, uh, you know, um, YouTube or uh, uh, or Facebook or, or yeah. one of them. Um, yep. So it's, it's a pretty cool place yep. all around. Um. Anyways, Michigan uh, Public Buck Twenty Four on the forum asked ask a question on there, and I was gonna make sure I got to it. Um, he asked, uh, "What is enough sign to hunt a spot um, in the various parts of the season?" And when it comes to to sign, he's like, he's asking, "How much sign is enough sign to to set up on?" Well, Jesus, it doesn't have to be much; it just has to be enough to convince you. That there's something big coming in and out of something. For me, the main piece of sign is I have to believe what I'm looking at is fresh, that's not old, and I have to believe that it's uh, um, in close relationship to where that buck is bedding. Um, if I'm looking for a mature animal, so for me, the main ingredient is that the sign is coming in or out of something that is bedding. In in my opinion, 
Um, other than that, I mean, it can be it can be a rubber to mm-hmm. at a certain height if they're fresh on a trail leading into you know a dogwood patch, or it could be uh, one or two big tracks that look like they're within the last day or two coming out of uh, an area that goes into a dead end of a point, and you you know you figure there's no food in there. What's a deer doing in there? You know, um, I guess this time of the season, I mean, you'll expect a little more like a uh, sign during rut, but not always. Big bucks can, can go through um, some pretty good areas without leaving sign sometimes. So uh, I guess it doesn't take much sign to convince me. It's just the, it's more the age of the sign and where it's coming and going from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could have a single track that that'd be enough for me, you know, a fresh track that has, I mean, that's, that's almost as good as a trail cam picture, you know, saying that he was here this morning, you know, Heck, so. sometimes I'm setting up on no sign mm-hmm. sign of what, where I could see a trail, but I can't see sign that there's a big buck there, but I'm reading the terrain and saying that's the best looking area in the, in the woods. Like if I'm on a road trip or something. And I know I've been burned by that because I've gone into areas where I know of a giant buck. Mm-hmm. And I scout every inch and I don't find it. And I end up right. burning the area out. Right. Because he's not leaving sign in his bedding areas or whatever. And I just keep moving around. And, you know, sometimes you just have to hunt an area down, you, you know, and you just have to, it shouldn't, it shouldn't take that sign to convince you that it's, it's hot. I mean, sign is a great confidence booster, but I've killed an awful lot of bucks just based off the terrain. Yeah. I know you have too. Your area is even more pro- prone to that than my area. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, in the hills around here, it's so, so rocky up top and stuff, you know, that it's not like you're following deer tracks per se, you know, they don't really leave tracks. Um, so you got to trust the, um, trust the terrain. Um, I'm going to kind of, I got, I actually got last week's show up on my screen above me here and just kind of letting the chat go and then I'll answer questions that come in here too. But I can't, I can't find this question up here, but it was a really good question. I thought it was interesting from last week. Someone asked us if would we rather kill our target buck in velvet or hard horn? Hmm. <laughs> I, I guess I would have to say velvet just because I haven't I haven't killed really a big killed one in velvet. velvet buck. I've killed uh, a couple bucks that have velvet on them. One had one velvet antler, and one had yeah. uh, velvet on all the tips of his antlers. But I've never killed a velvet one, so I probably I'd probably enjoy that. Yeah, I. I was going back and forth in my head when I saw that question earlier today. I was like, man, I don't know. Cause I, um, you know, if you had a target buck that was like 190 inches, you know, I don't just to have a great big hard horn. The, the, the one thing is, is if you shoot like a world-class buck, they'll want the um, velvet off of it to measure it. Yeah, true. And I wouldn't do that. I would still yeah. rather have it in velvet myself, but I think a lot of people would change their mind about that to get their little, record book status or whatever yeah i'm just not into that does is that is that what they do do they have to do they strip the velvet off to score a buck and like pope and young or yeah if you don't do it they they can't put it in the books they can't measure over the velvet yep i didn't know that i never thought about that i guess i'm kind of like you i don't uh i don't really pay much attention to it so yeah I i think most people like when they're young and they're gung ho and um, maybe not so much anymore, but when I was a kid, 
I mean, um, Pope and Young was a really big thing, you know, and, and a lot of the guys that were just trying to get the most Pope and Young or the biggest Pope and Young or stuff, like Miles Keller. I mean, he had the record for Pope and Youngs. So that people will always be talking about that. He's up to this many. He's up to that many, you know. Oh, really? And, yeah. So, I mean, it was a big thing. But after you put two or three in there, you start thinking, well, what the hell is this doing for me? You know, what do I care about their book? I'm doing this for them, you know, and I don't even really – see eye to eye with them it, it seemed to me that you know they do a lot of good things for hunting so i don't want to say anything disrespectful because i do respect them yeah and, and the things that they do but really you're paying them to put your name in the book with the, with, with your buck and uh i mean a lot of the stuff is a bunch of prestigious guys that sit around and decide the rules for you and they they they've got rules so say they might have a rule like um they used to have one you couldn't use a lit knock because you couldn't use yep. anything electronic and they literally had people who shot a deer with a lit knock and put their buck in the book they pulled all their bucks out for cheating for using a mm -hmm. lit knock and uh then um a guy shoots this i believe it was the beady buck this giant mm -hmm. buck and he shot it with a lit knock and then they changed the rules because they wanted to put that one in the books yeah you know so what about all those guys you took out of the books? Right. They go back in? No, I don't think so. Yeah. But, uh, so I don't like the rule system. I mean, to me, a, a, now this isn't what they are. They're not really a record-keeping agency like they claim. They're a record-keeping agency to the, to the way they deem hunting. So for me, a record-keeping agency would keep track of the size of the deer based on the law. Yeah. You know, it shouldn't, you know it doesn't differentiate whether somebody hunts over bait or, or hunts out of a tree stand or hunts on the ground or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but just the size of the animal and who shot it, you know, is, is, to me is a record book. Um, yeah. but as soon as you start, you, you know, altering the law to, to what you feel is ethical or moral, the law should be where the ethic moral line is. So. Yeah. Yep. I, uh, I'm a member of, uh, Compton traditional bow hunters. Like it's a little, it's a, it's not little, it's a big traditional group. You go mm -hmm. to shoots and stuff. They have their own scoring system and it's a, it doesn't have anything to do with like laws or anything, but they give you more points. Like you get more points. If you shot it with a, like a self bow, you get like five more points added on. And they have this whole system of, it's pretty funny to look at. It's like, they yeah. thought about this a lot. It's like, man. <laughs> you, you know, the thing is too, I mean, just think about it like this. Two bucks walk out. Both of them have a hundred and ninety-five inch twelve point frame. Yeah. But the one on the left has an additional additional fifteen inches of drop tines and stickers and stuff. That's a smaller buck. Yeah, right. That just yeah. doesn't even make sense. Yeah. Somebody's ideal of what a big buck should be. To me, um, I have a scoring system. It's really complex. It's probably more complex than your buddy's scoring system for my own bucks. I don't say this too much, but it goes on a tier like this. That's a good buck, a big buck, or a giant buck. That's yeah, my right. System. Right. You know, because to me, <laughs> if I shot a, an eight-year-old buck that had bases like Coke cans, was 12 inches wide, and, and had just a fork on each side, and it was a four-pointer, and uh, was just massive and heavy and burry, to me, enough. that would be a much bigger buck, yeah, than a clean ten two year old that makes Pope and Young, yeah. 
Yeah, right? for sure. I mean, for me, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I, I think most people would look at it and go, yeah, that's a bigger buck, but this one scores better. So, you know, but yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's just, and that's a personal preference. I'm not saying what they're doing is wrong. It just doesn't match what I do. So right. it's, it doesn't fit right. my narrative. Right. Um, another question that's a little bit controversial that came up last week we never get to is uh, Jameis and the one asked it. He said, uh, what to expect the first year crossbows are allowed in your archery season? He said, I guess Minnesota, the government, uh, signed away from our first archery season without an age restriction on crossbow use. Hmm. What to yeah, expect? They, yeah. Probably just uh, curious. Yeah. Usually they just, you know, like 7,000 of them are going to show up where you hunt and they're just going to kill everyone. <laughs> Opening day, everything will be gone. <laughs> No, it's not that much difference. They they do kill some deer, but it's really not that much different. Um, most of the areas have such a high population. I don't think it makes that much of a difference. I think it makes a difference personally. But, you know, when people talk about all the deer getting killed by crossbows, what they're forgetting is they're a little more efficient, too. And they're actually killing the deer. I know guys that were killing four or five deer a year for the recovered one. Yeah. Or at least majorly crippling them because right. they were having bad hard times with bows they don't see right their eyesight's off they, they don't shoot good and they get a crossbow with a scope and they start killing stuff and then they're only shooting one deer and they're out of the woods so it's all a matter of how you look at it in perspective i wouldn't care two cents about what somebody's doing with a crossbow i worry about me yeah and if you, if you take that mindset and not worry about what everybody else is doing and just keep hunting the way you hunt it really ain't going to affect you much you might run into a little heavier pressure. Just keep looking, move over. You'll find a deer. Mm -hmm. it, it's really not that big of a deal. That's probably an unpopular answer, but it's true. I don't, whenever a crossbows became legal here, I don't, I don't really recall the next, the first year being drastically different. I, I really, I've never seen much of a difference. And what I do think is maybe over time in five years or something, you start to see, Hey, the deer numbers are down a little. They're killing a little more deer with archery equipment. You start to see a difference in the killing. I mean, if you're on a farm and there's, uh, you know, you, know um, you and another guy hunting there, and then all of a sudden they let six guys in there with crossbows, yeah, it's going to make a difference. Sure. But I, yeah. even if you had six guys there already and they started using crossbows, I don't think you'd see that much of a difference. They might yeah. all kill deer, but I think they're going to get their deer and get out of there instead of wounding them or spending a whole bunch of time in there spooking them off. Yep. Yep. They are they are efficient killing machines. I don't just I don't argue that at all. It's really huge to not have to draw the bow. You know, when yeah. I get busted out of a tree, I don't know about you, Josh. You can say how it is for you, but for me, when I get busted out of a tree, it's almost always on the draw. Mm-hmm. When I'm when I make the move. It's for sure it's for sure the most movement you're gonna make in the whole process, you know. Um, Furman Miller, he's the one that called in that we couldn't, uh, he was glitching or whatever, didn't have a good internet connection. He, he asked a question last week. He says, if a buck you were shining or glassing disappears, how far do you cast your web until you find him again? Oh, well, that's a good question. I mean, that's hard to give an answer to. I usually look at it as in blocks. So, um, as far as I think that deer can get, 
Now, I mean, if it's vast woodland that goes forever, it's kind of hard to make that assumption. Um, but I mean, if you're starting to cross roads and all that kind of stuff, yeah. Uh, if the roads are close, I think I'd cross them. If the roads are say quarter mile away, I think the roads would block me in, you know? Um, but basically what I do is I go from the spot where I had the confrontation from, or the confrontations where I've seen yeah. him. And I, I kind of go from the center there out and I just try to look for the, where he could be hiding, where he could be. And I look at it like, um, like I'm hunting a person and that sounds weird, but I, I, I try to give them an intelligence. They don't really have one, but they have it yeah. with the way they smell and stuff. They have a knack for doing it as if they had an intelligence, they hide. So I look for hiding spots that have the um, ingredients that a deer needs to survive the, for a bedding area. And uh, it's almost like if you're playing army, you, you know, and somebody's hunting you down and you look at that woodlot and uh, you say, where would I hide where none of these guys would look for me? And that's where you find those bucks when they're in, you know, in those areas a lot of the time. So I would just scour through that area around there and find as much of that as I can you know, and, and just keep expanding that radius until I figure I'm not on them no more or, or I'm not seeing them or whatever. But I don't think I'm getting out a uh, half mile or anything. I mean, I just had a conversation with somebody on uh, online. Uh, it was either this morning or yesterday or something. Uh, but he was uh, he was telling me uh, he, he's got this big buck he really wants to kill. He's getting pictures of it. And uh, the pictures are at like, four you know four in the morning midnight and he's not getting anything in daylight and he's asking me how far away do you think this deer is and uh my response is it could be a mile it could be right there but my general instinct is to believe it's right there under your nose someplace if you're getting multiple pictures in that spot those deer don't travel all that far all the time you get one picture of them coming through eh, he could be coming from anywhere especially towards rut. Yeah. But throughout the season, you're getting pictures in one area. I mean, I'm thinking about the bucks that I've shot, the real big ones that live out in these marshes and swamps and stuff. Man, I've had cameras out there and you pick up pictures of these things and it's midnight, two in the morning, three in the morning. You're not seeing any daylight movement until you get into that core area of about five or 10 acres. Yeah. In a lot of cases. I mean, some every deer is different, but in a lot of cases, those deer are just living right there and you don't know it. It's just a matter of finding the spot. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And you, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess it depends on how big a deer it is, but if you're hunting, you know, public land and you don't have permission on private around there, it's like, I wouldn't waste like a whole bunch of time looking for him if you don't have access to it at all anyway, you know, unless you feel confident you can start knocking on doors and finding you know, right. Getting permission. What so saying, I, would, I wouldn't worry yourself too much. It might not be off of that public is what I'm saying. No, it, it, might, it might not be, be. Right there. Yeah. You just, you just have to. And then too, I mean, I'll hunt down an area. I don't find that buck. I mean, cause yeah. usually I could take a pretty big area. I could take 40 acres and hunt that in two mm -hmm. or three hunts and know if that buck's mm -hmm. there. Yeah. You know, but if he's not, I'm out of there. Yeah. Unless it's some super giant freak where I have to mm -hmm. spend some time. And then my odds are going way down because when I hunt yeah. those core areas, I either run across them or he's not where I could kill him. Yeah. And that's, I guess that's what, that's what I meant. It's like, he's either there or he's gone. Like don't, don't sit there in the, in that 
50 acres all and hunt it 47 times all summer because you've got a you shined a deer in the middle of the summer and you haven't seen him since you know he might be there but i don't know if you've hunted him a couple times it's like well better better go find a new one you know um let's see here there was one other question that was pretty good from last week or not last week tuesday mitch vamos he asked dan a question said on your private spot did you ever do any land improvements or just kind of leave it be? So it's, I know it's a, he goes, hey, I know, yeah, he said, he knows it's a vague question. He's just curious. Well, the only, only land improvements I've done there is um, to put in food plots. And um, other than that, I haven't had the, the access or been allowed to. Yeah. Like doing hinge cutting and clearing right. and all that stuff is what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I've ever done too is, is food plots. I've never really messed with anything else. Other than most, like mo- most people, when you don't own the land or you're not related or something, most people don't want you out there mowing on their forest or yeah. planting trees or, you know. Yeah. I, I did do some cleaning out around old apple trees. Um, there's obviously there was an apple orchard there at some time. Dave's owned it for 30 years and the apple orchard was grown in with brush and stuff back then where you had to really look and say, holy crap, there's apple trees in the forest in a row. Yeah. Um, so that apple tree's got to be like 50 years old. Half of them are dead now. There's like yeah. there's six, seven of them out there. And I, I've uh, gone around with a uh, chainsaw and cleared all the trees around it so they could get some light and stuff. And yeah. the deer could have some space. But uh, that's as far as I've gone as far as manipulating the land. But I can tell you there is a lot of things I'd like to do if I had those options. Um, but even if they gave me permission now, I wouldn't because they're probably going to sell the place. Yeah. What what kind of things would you want to do on that property? I think I would want to uh, um, make some brush lines and stuff uh, um, to connect some areas where the deer could have a little privacy. I think I'd like to put some pine trees around the outside borders, mm-hmm. uh, make the deer feel a little more comfortable rather than having neighbors staring at them or in plain view, like like a heavy pine. Um, yeah. Like a wall almost for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, put those around the borders. Um, maybe uh, some of the more wide open areas, you know, you, you put a path that has pines across the middle to make the block, the openings smaller so the deer feel more comfortable. Um, maybe um, some blockades that sort of the deer that are in certain areas can't see my approach. Um, that would be huge for me. Um, yeah. Maybe cut some little openings into bigger uh, areas that are just solid trees to allow some light in to get some brush growing so that you get some more bedding. Those kind of things. Mm. Make it a little thicker on the tops of the little ridges where they they can bed underneath the, the ridge on a leeward wind. Yeah. I've had 150 ideas on some of the properties I've hunted over the years, things I'd like to do, but... Um, you can get carried away with that stuff too, because the time you put into that. Yeah, I know. You probably find a lot of deer scouting. Oh yeah, yeah. Me and Gary were talking about that a while back about just getting fed up with screwing around with all this crap, and you know, he's like, we could be on public land finding a deer that's twice as big as what we have on our private anyway. You know. <laughs> uh, Dave's uh, is certainly uh, like that. I mean, if I, I find. Uh, if I got food in there for him beyond the natural food, like food plots, yep. And the place is loaded with deer. 
if I don't, it's 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 a ghost town. Yeah. Yep. I I started uh, well two years ago. I started doing those no-till food plots, and they've really worked well for me. And they don't take as much time and all that kind of stuff. And that's about the only thing I do now. I put them put in one, and I'm like you. If I don't put it in there, it's just like when the crops go off, it's gone. Everything's gone. You might as well not even. The, the big the thing place. about Meyer, and I, I think your area is kind of the same, but different. Mm -hmm. You got all those hills nearby, and if you just cut down all those fields, you're just going to go to those hills, in my opinion, if there's nothing there for them. But um, where Dave's at is his land is is nice. It's got a lot of food kind of options. Yep. It's got a lot of bedding options, and standalone would be pretty nice. But as soon as you get off his property to the other end, I mean, it just drops in the swamp where there's just endless bedding. Um, the neighbors all got great food and food plots. And um, there's no reason for a deer to be there. I mean, uh, even if I enhance the bedding, bedding's better in that swamp. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? Right. So I got to have, the main thing I got to have is a reason for me to be there. And the mm -hmm. food holds the nose there, brings the bucks there. Uh, um, but the bucks will hold there too. And uh, um, we actually had better success on the local bucks when we had bad neighbors because they put so much pressure on that the deer would come onto our property. Right. But at the same time, the bad neighbors killed everything. So we only had one or two bucks. Mm -hmm. Now we got good neighbors and the deer stay on the other side of the fence and it's hard to get them to come over. Yeah. Catch 22. It is. Yeah. There's good and bad in everything. Yep. Right. Um, before we go any farther, Uncle Lou wanted me to mention something. He has a beast gear giveaway going on on his website. So if you guys go to stealthoutdoors.com and mm -hmm. go over there, and he's giving away a four pack of beast sticks with stealth strips included. So nice. He just texted me. He texted me earlier and I forgot. He just texted me again to remind me. So, um, I told him if you gave away, you know, if he, if he used his hard earned money to buy, you know, a four pack of B sticks, maybe, maybe buy a stand too. Um, yeah, I'd give away one, one roll of stealth strips and I'd buy it with oh, my yeah. own money. <laughs> give a reach in your closet to the 400 of them he's given to you over the years. Right. right. No, Lou's a great guy. Oh yeah. Yep. I got a, I got a bunch of it. I need to start giving away on this, on this show. Um, at some point in time. Maybe we'll we'll start doing some call in things and get given away again uh, to the call call ins. Um, all right, let's get to some of the questions. I think I got through all the ones that we didn't really answer last week. I, I skipped over some just because we answered them during the show uh, while we, me and Dan, were just talking. Johnny has a question here though. He said, "Do you believe in wolf country may?" tend to bed more closer to urban stuff. Do you believe in wolf country deer may tend to bed more early? And yeah, sorry, I read like a sixth grader, but you believe in wolf country deer may tend to bed more closer to urban stuff. Yeah, I, th I think that's a possibility. Yeah. I think um, I've seen things that to, to, to lend me to believe that where you get into wolf territory and the stuff near town and in town and in yards seems to have a lot more deer, but I also seem to see that, you know, when I get out of wolf country, it yeah. just seemed that I don't know if there's more food around yards, there's more, you know, so I, I'm sure the wolves have something to do with it. 
one thing I have noticed is that when you put wolves in the mix, they really like beds isolated by water. Yeah. Um, and I've also noticed when you put wolves in the mix, they move a lot more in daylight. Like you have the deer that move at noon and, um, at least that's my belief of why they're doing that. But when I get in the Northwoods, you always see deer midday, um, because they're being hunted all day long and all night long. Yeah. Uh, wolves don't, uh, um, follow rule books. Um, right. In my opinion, the DNR ought to start busting them. I think they're prejudiced. They bust us if we, you know, one minute past hours, you know, wolves, they, they hunt all night and nobody does nothing about it. Yep. That's a good point. Stampede, he has a good question. What's the weirdest thing you've seen or heard in the woods? He said, I you see, I saw a orb floating through the trees in the early AM during late season. What were you smoking? <laughs> I, uh, last year during late season, I was hunting, uh, it may have been two years ago, but I was hunting the deer reduction zone here in Indiana. I was walking out and I saw like a string of like 30 lights going through the sky real fast. I was like, what the heck is that? You know, they're all in a row, but it was like SpaceX's satellites or something ended up being, but it kind of, mm. kind of freaked me out at, at first. Weirdest sound I've heard is I was tracking a buck one night after I'd shot him and, um, Bobcats started crying out, and then things kind of are spooky. Oh, yeah. They, they sound weird, yeah. Yeah, it's like babies crying, like real loud. Um, what about you? Uh, I don't know about sounds, but uh, I've seen some crazy stuff over the years for sure. Um, one of them, the, probably the craziest thing, was actually something I captured on trail camera, and that was a... Uh, an image of a uh, skull floating in the air. That was back when we used to have uh, actual film cameras. Yeah. The box that had a button that would click, you know, when a deer yeah. come by. And uh, I had set the camera up um, right behind um, a house that's just down the street from me where a whole family disappeared except for the kid. And they blamed the kid <laughs> for murdering him. And uh, I, I went back to check the camera. And there's a picture in there of a skull floating above a deer running, like a spooked deer running. You should see if you find a picture. I think it's called Spooked Buck in the, um, in the uh, article section of the forum. But uh, it had it had another picture that kind of looked like a skull, but not as much. But that, that, uh, that picture would have really been a huge deal because of how exact that skull looked but nobody would believe me they always thought it was altered somehow yeah i did get uh a guy who um um a guy named sanio i think i think i'm pronouncing that right he worked for quad graphics and i was working at quad graphics and he did these uh he was really into imaging so he did all this intense imaging for their company but on the side he had a business where uh he worked for the military and for the government and he would uh um look at uh, UFO photos and stuff. And he was able to decipher if they're fake or real mm-hmm. and they use them for that skill. So I, I told him about it and he wanted to see the picture, the negative, and he wanted to go over it. And, uh, and he went over and, he, and then he called me in his office and he said that it was a, uh, it, it was uh, when you have a camera, when you have a lens in front of the lens, because those, those old cameras had a plastic lens and a clear plastic lens in front of the camera. 
Mm-hmm. He says, uh, uh, if there's a piece of dust on it, you get an orb. And he says, it's almost always a completely round dot. He says, what you did is you got a picture of that orb up against the screen there or a piece of dust that's on the, uh, the lens. And he says, the funny thing is, it says, if you blow that up and now the picture was a lot better, more pristine, you know, when you had it on a, because uh, that's low quality. Right. Um, but uh, when you blow it up, you could actually see the teeth in the skull mm. and you could see detail. And it was so bizarre. And uh, he was just like infatuated with that picture. But uh, uh, still, I, I nobody ever believed me about the picture as far as not my friends and stuff. But I mean, as far as like uh, media or anything like that is making some money off of it or something. But yeah. uh, still pretty cool. Yeah. Are you able to uh, blow that picture up a little? Even though it's low quality, maybe you can see something on it. Like yeah, that is closer. that is actually just a, a dust orb on the screen. <laughs> and uh, that was right behind a fa- uh, house of a family that got murdered. <laughs> right when the camera was, the camera was put there, they were fine, and that's after they were, it was picked up after they were murdered. Yeah. That's creepy. And was, what's what's creepy too is like this little buck here. He he's like you can tell he's like spooked spooked or yeah, something too. Yeah. The camera was there forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was a bizarre thing. Um that for anybody that follows crimes, that was the Karnak family. Um the kid after he uh supposedly murdered him changed his name to Anderson right after that. And uh it always blew my mind they had no evidence at all that he did it and they were able to convict him of murder. Really? Yeah, there was no evidence that he was the one who did it. His family was supposed to go um, up north for a trip. And uh, he said he didn't go along because he didn't want to. And they never returned. And they found the car up north um, with the door open and the mom's purse sitting on the front seat with money in view inside the purse. And the family was never seen again. And then, like, I think it was a, a... two years later or something they found the father's uh skeletal remains um in uh i don't know if it was arizona or utah or something in the desert and uh um they were able to figure out it was him and then do dna because next to him was the family dog which was also missing and it had a collar on the skeleton that had the name tag on it so then they, that led them to believe who it was. And then they did DNA on the bones and found out it was uh, the old man, but they never found uh, the mom or the sister or whatever. And uh, yeah, just a bizarre story. But uh, they claim he did that and then drove back down here. Or something. But how did he go with them in their car? Um, abduct him where there's no DNA in the car in the cabin or in his house. And they said they said they thought he murdered him in the house where the camera by where the camera was, but they they you should have saw the number of cops and stuff they had over there. They didn't find any DNA in the yard, in the house, anywhere. They had dogs over everything, and um, they didn't find anything in the car or in that building. And then how would he get that guy down south? They convicted him on he went to college near where the bodies were found or where the body was found, and that. Uh, his personal car had uh, a lot of mileage on it that he couldn't explain. Like he didn't know where he had gone. And uh, I don't know how you convict somebody on something like that. 
weird. Yeah. That's the night that the lights went out in Georgia. That See what happened? A lot of people weird things. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I also, uh, one time I found a um, complete ram skeleton on a full yeah. ram. It had to be somebody's pet or something. Yeah. Uh, no, it's not sitting here. I don't know where it's laying. But uh, out in, uh, I took the head back, but I found it out in the middle of the cattails, about a mile out. That's crazy. I mean, it is crazy to find it, but it's like, animals get out and die you know but yeah. it is it's it's random <laughs> yeah we a, found I should, a, I should have told that one first because then it would have probably had a little like wow that's cool yeah <laughs> not after the ghost right, the, right. The, the floaty skeletons of the family that died in your trail camera picture um we uh we found cattle out in the middle of the public land around here you know cattle get out get loose and you find a big cattle skull somewhere in the mm. middle of public land but they get in their hills and can't figure out how to get out. If I could tell one more without boring people too bad, but um, a couple of years back I was turkey hunting and I was driving around the marsh and I seen a turkey, a tom, out in the field. So I'm like, oh, I, I can kill that. So I pull up to the parking lot and there's already a truck there or, mm -hmm. or a car or like an SUV there. So like I drive off. I'm like, damn it. You know, because it, obviously it was in plain view. So I drive around the block, look around, and that's what I'll do when I'm running gun, and I'll go look for them in these open fields and then figure out where they're going and try to get in front of them. Mm -hmm. So then I make my rounds around, and I come back, and and uh, that Tom is still out there. Uh, just moved over a little bit, and I look, and the car's still there, and I'm like, you know, are they hunting or aren't they? And I'm thinking, well, I'm just going to you know, creep over and see if they got a gun case in there or decoys or something, you know, see if there's anything that shows me they're a hunter before, you know, because I don't want to ruin their hunt. Right. So I park in the parking lot and walk over to the car and I put my face up against the car and I kind of kind of look in the windows and there's two people in there having sex. <laughs> and they jumped up and uh, did not like that. I was just like, yeah. oh, <laughs> I never got out of there so fast. You forgot about the turkey. Yeah. You rolled the, roll no, the window down. Are you, guys, are you guys hunting? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even hunt the turkey. I just got out of there. Just, uh, yeah. That was it. Yeah, there was some shade. The the day, I just couldn't even. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You'll have that. Um, not very often, but that happens. Uh, there's a spot on public land around here that that's known known for. I've never had problems yeah, well, with it. In but... hindsight, there's always condoms laying in the parking lot, so I should know better. Yeah. All right. Let's see here. Good question, Stan. I got us on some rants there. Doe Slayer, he has a he has a question. It may be a little hard to answer, but he said, "How would you go about early scouting large areas of similar terrain? Example is a large cedar swamp that runs along a river. Spotlight doesn't seem like a viable option. It's too thick." What does early scouting mean? Um, right before deer season or something? Yeah, let's, we'll, since we're kind of talking about summertime, let's 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 pretend it is deer season. Okay. Or right before deer season, I mean, early. So we're scouting, uh, what is a cedar thicket along a river? Yep. He said, he said like monotonous, um, similar terrain. So monotonous, similar terrain, I'm going to look at it on a map. No, no, I made that, look. I made the monotonous part up. He did not say monotonous, but similar terrain. So I don't know. So similar terrain, I'm looking at it on a map. I'm looking at the shape of the river. I'm looking for points in there. I'm looking for grass along the river. Um, I'm looking for islands. I'm looking for low areas along the river. 
and then I'm looking for openings in high spots away from the river. So I'm looking for elevation changes. So I'll look at, I'll go back and forth between topo and aerial, and maybe I'll look at a, a mix of the two together. I kind of like looking at them separate. That's why I use hill map a lot. Even though I'm looking at flat terrain, elevation makes a huge difference. And uh, when you're looking at just a topo, you can see the line real clear. But on hillmap.com, it puts one image on each side of the screen. So you can split the image. And when you move, both sides move. So you can look at um, uh, uh, terrain or topo or aerial on one side and something else on the other. And I'll look at the image of the um, of the aerial and I'll look for something and I'll look where the elevation is. And I'm trying to find the highest elevation and lowest elevations in um, monotonous terrain. Um, the lowest uh, areas are probably going to be along that river you're talking about. So I'll be looking for oxbows. I'll be looking for uh, uh, grassy areas, beaver dams, um, things of that. If there's any place where the trees change, it's not going to be monotonous forever. If you have just solid cedars and the, and the elevation never changed, I'd run from that. I wouldn't even want to hunt there. But that's rarely the case. It can go on for a while, but generally there's a spot where something else happens. You know, you go up into poplars for a little while, or you got a little air, a little line of trees, or you got a couple of trees. It doesn't take much. Just a little higher elevation, and all of a sudden you'll get an oak tree or two, you know, almost like an island in the cedars. You know, it doesn't have to be very big. You're going to seek out those higher elevations, even though it's a foot or two. You're going to seek out those lower elevations, even though it's a foot or two. And you're going to look for them changes in the terrain. And the reason they do that is because those are the spots that change the wind, change the uh, thermals, that change the, uh, the vision, that add a little cover for hiding. So those are the spots I look at. doesn't mean every one of them is going to be great. But generally, when I find something good, it's going to be in a spot just like that. Highest elevation, lowest elevation, or some change in the terrain, a, a transition line, an edge. Anything to add? Not really. Those are hard. Those are hard. Hard ones to um, to answer. Um, yeah, like Dan said. You know, there's, there's a swamp I hunt, and uh, in that swamp, I know of a um, a family that shot two bucks over two hundred inches, one over one seventy, and I know some other people that shot some giant bucks in there. That swamp is just massive. It's a few miles across. And you get in there and everything kind of looks the same to most people. Mm-hmm. It's uh, a vast area of cattails, a vast area of tamarack, and uh, just kind of a blend of of uh, dogwood out there. And the dogwood is a big, vast area too. And uh, I remember looking at that on map and I thought, well, this area right here. And I picked up this area where an island met some tamaracks and there's some dogwood there. And it was just different than everything else. And I went in there and looked. And um, turns out from talking to my buddies, that's where they were shooting all those bucks. Mm. And walk in there, I find uh, uh, big deadheads laying out there because nobody gets in there and sign and stuff. And I've hunted that for years since then. And every big buck I've seen in that area was right in that area. Mm. You know, there's beds all over the place. You can walk through that whole swamp and find beds. And that's where it confuses people because they're everywhere. But the big bucks were on the points in the dogwood, on the you know where, where the transition lines were, where they had a little advantage, where 
they can they can sit in a spot where you're they can be relatively sure that if you come at them you're coming down the point of the dogwood or you're coming down the point of the you know there's like one way you're going to come at them they can either smell you or they can see you you know and they they have a good setup and that's going to be along those transition lines and those points and stuff and because of that you'll take a vast area like that and there'll be one or two key areas in the whole place yep all right gary had a question he says uh do you guys have any experience with control burns and how they affect bedding that are burned in the springtime if it kills the dogwood and stuff it's going to affect it i mean we just had a couple burns here we have a couple burns every year and um it always annoys me because uh, it seems to me that they burn it every time it starts to get into good deer habitat. Yeah, it's like uh, they're like, uh oh, uh oh, got to turn that into evasive pheasant habitat. <laughs> That's a, we're going to have to get some of those Chinese birds out here. So they uh, they kill most of the dogwood. Some of it comes back. Um, all you can do is look at it after they burn it and uh, see what happens. I mean, if the, if it kills the uh, brush. If it still leaves cover, however, most of the time, honestly, what they burn, the deer I'm hunting are deeper. Yeah. They're off the side. They're not really in grass per se. Yeah. But that's not to say that's everywhere. Like I've gotten down to Iowa and what I think is like grass up here wouldn't hold a bunny rabbit. Mm -hmm. When you're looking at everything's open fields, it can be the best terrain in, in the area. In the, yeah. You know, yep. so it's. Yep. It, it takes it like if they, depending on when they burn it in the spring to time, like sometimes it's not grown. You can still tell it was burnt in the fall. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, it is, you know, it does remote regrowth and all that and makes, provides a lot of food and stuff for the animals. But, um, like Dan said, it depends on what they're burning here and here in the Hoosier national, they'll just like burn sections of, of the Hoosier national. And it's, not as big a deal here because they're, you know, they're betting on terrain based features instead of, you know, thick areas, you know, they're just, they're betting on points and stuff. So they don't typically have a lot of, uh, vegetation anyway. I mean, they have a little bit, but not, not a ton like you would in a marsh or a swamp. Mm -hmm. Those marshes ever catch on fire, Dan? Yeah. Occasionally. It can, really? be, it can be pretty bad when they do. I imagine so. Um, I know. Uh, we went by and, um, uh... Jefferson Marsh was on fire one time when me and Carol were driving by and there wasn't nobody around. So uh, we called the uh, fire department and then uh, they came out and uh, started putting it out and uh, we filmed it a little bit and then we left. And uh, we came back later and they were done. And uh, we were looking, there's like a, a small fire out there still. They, they missed a spot or something and it flared back up. So we called them and they had to come back out and put that out. Oh, again. really? But they got there in time. I mean, when they get bad and they get out of hand, if you don't catch it in time, they're out here with helicopters dropping water on it and everything. Oh else. man, bad. You can lose houses and stuff if you're too close to the marsh. And... Yep. All right. Arm pastor asks, um, "How are you mapping your exact tree to set up in? My onyx can be off sixty yards when I come back in hunting season." Hmm. I guess um, probably some of it's by memory, but I think uh, the point-wise, I really zoom in and make sure it's in the exact spot. And then uh, I know for a while I was having a hard time getting them in the exact spot. And then I, when I started using that button, it's like uh, 
like mark my location. I found it was a lot more accurate. But what I do is I zoom way in so that I can actually see the tree. And I make sure it's on that tree, basically. And then I do a trail coming in and out, like an um, axis trail. And you can be off a little bit on an axis trail. But generally, um, I'm not, most of the spots where those bucks are, it's not like it's wide open woods or anything. You're going to follow the trail of least resistance because you're not going to want to make a ton of noise. So you're pretty much following a deer trail. And generally, there's one trail or two. If you're off, you're just off a little bit. You end up correcting yourself. So for me, it really hasn't been a problem um, hitting those trees pretty exact. I think uh, if you're going in in the morning, it can be a little harder in the dark. Yeah. But the evenings, it hasn't been hard for me. Um, just to give you like a guy's a, a pointer on Onyx, I guess like if you're using Onyx instead, he was, there's a little button right here in the corner right there. If you double tap that, that typically puts your cursor a little more exact than where you're at. So you're constantly having problems it could be just your gps on your phone or something but um yeah it probably has something to do with how how, uh, how good your internet is at the spot too. yeah it could, could be could be all right select hunter thanks for the donation man um he's seen more bucks than does i hunt is that good or bad if you're hunting so, bucks it's good <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't see any bad in that. Um, yeah. Matter of fact, uh, seeing does can be a problem. I mean, they can mess up your hunts. I generally see more bucks where I hunt too. Um, probably a lot more bucks. And, and the reason for that is that's what I'm hunting. I'm not hunting doe groups. So um, yeah. there's certain areas where the doe population is so out of whack that you see a lot more does than bucks, even if you're hunting bucks. But, mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily a bad thing to just be seeing bucks. It's probably because you're doing something right. Yep. Right. Matt Sanchez asked, if you find a thermal hub area with scrapes that is adjacent to crop fields, but the field is across a road, would you assume they are only coming to that well after dark, but staging near the hub? Um, yeah, I, I would, but uh, um, I don't know how far they're going to stage. So that they might get to, the, if the scrape is only 100 yards from the road, they might get to that scrape around last light. I mean, if the scrape is right in the hub or, you know, you're, or you're right along the edge of it, they're probably going to come to the edge and kind of stage up in, in my opinion. So, uh, they're not going to get too close to the road. In other words, until it's starting to get gray light or, you know, yeah. What's your thoughts on that? I think that, um, a big mature buck, whether the cornfields across the road or not, they're going to stage before they go out into it so mm -hmm. um i probably wouldn't do much different i i look for stuff across roads all the time dan you do too sure you, yep. you're always paying attention to that track i, do, stuff not, I do notice though they're a little bit more hesitant to cross a road yeah but in hill country or at least around here in hill country typically the uh the crops are so far away from their bedding a lot of times they can be five or six hundred yards yeah, you got to look at the road too. It might be I ninety four he's talking about, or it might be. Uh, yeah, we don't really. Yeah, we don't really know that. Road that's uh, paved but only gets a car every other day. You know, yeah. depends on the road too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I they they probably do hesitate a little bit before crossing a road, you know, or wait till dark or whatever. But 
I don't know if that's changing the way you hunt him. You should be close enough to bedding that you're inside of that area you, you probably anyway. Point. I mean, really, I don't I, I, I think I probably should have answered it the way you did because um I don't think it makes any difference to me because I'm just getting as as close as I can. Yeah. Right. It doesn't the regardless of the road, that's all I can do. Mm-hmm. And I'm yep. doing that regardless of the road because if I'm giving them an inch, it's giving them an escape. Buck I killed in Wisconsin cross the road at night to go to crops. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I've had them cross the road and come into it and I kill them. Yeah, it's just not the norm. I mean, yep. um, when we say this stuff, it's not an exact science. If it was, we'd kill deer every time we go out. But the the fact of the matter is, what we're what we're basing what we do on is percentages. Yep. The most of the times, if you're doing stuff based on what deer do most of the time and you're cutting down there's percentages instead of it being you know 10 percent that they do this it's 11 or 12 well you just upped your odds and if you do this maybe it ups your odd a percentage this way and you do that it ups your and pretty soon you're doing a little better than everybody else but it's just by upping your odds a little bit on everything but that close as you possibly can get is more important than people think yeah you know, you think about all those big bucks that I've shot out of beds where I know where they're bedding and I shoot them, you know, um, 75 or 100 yards from their bed. And it's literally closing time. Yeah. If I'm back 150, 200 yards, I'm not killing that deer and he's going to know I was there. So yeah. it's a matter of a precision attack of getting to the right spot the first hunt. And regardless of that road being there. Uh, um, and you answered it correctly. I mean, you're going to be as close as possible. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Tyler asked, how thick is too thick in regards to bedding and travel in hill country regarding buckthorn? What's your answer? I don't know. We don't have a lot of buckthorn in our hills here. but uh, Buckthorn is, um, I wonder if that's actually what he means. Um, I'm thinking like we got Greenbrier. Right, like that. Um, buckthorn. Um, I don't see that stuff get that thick that you can't get through it. Usually, there's an underpass that you can walk through. Unless it's a young buckthorn, then it can get kind of thick. Um, but once it gets a certain age class, I mean, you can just walk right through that stuff. It's just it gets kind of thick. But uh, as far as how thick is too thick, I mean, if you if you're pushing through stuff and having a hard time getting your bow through there, your stand's getting caught on stuff. There ain't too many bucks with a 20 inch rack that are walking through that all day. Yeah. But what they will do is they'll sit on the edge of it and they'll use it as escape. And if they are going through it, you'll find a trail where they can get their rack through. Yeah. Yeah. If he's talking about Greenbrier, it doesn't seem to get thick enough. It, right. If I, they can go over it. They can hop over yeah, it. Yeah. I don't think the thorns really bother them, you know, like they do us. You know, right. I, I think they, they pretty well just walk right through it and they like to eat it because they, your bed inside of it and all that kind of stuff. And the hill country uh, stuff that I've hunted down by you, I see them, you know, when I find them most of the time, they're in Greenbrier on a leeward side. Yeah. Um, there's a summertime scouting question. It said, when summer scouting and you come across other hunters or sign of other hunters, camera stands, ribbon, et cetera. Do you avoid the area or use that to your advantage and how? It's from the, from PA, the most hunted state in the country. 
Well, what, what most people do is they just like slash your, their tires, put a sign <laughs> on the windshield that says, it's my area, come back, have problems, um, take their cameras. Um, no, I generally uh, avoid other hunters. Um, and I, I look at it like this. I look at it a little different. Um, I look at it like if somebody's hunting there, um, they're probably messing it up and they're probably hunting it too much. And they're picking an area that if I'm picking that area, I'm not thinking right because I, I got to find the area where people don't go. Now, generally, if I go where most people go, I'll kill a deer. I'll see deer, I'll kill deer because there's a reason they go there. But what I think most people do is I think most people, um, they start out hunting, they want to kill a deer. They kill a fawn or they kill a doe or, or whatever. Maybe they get lucky and get a buck the first time. But then they step up, they want to get more, and they, they start killing more deer. And then they want to step up to bigger bucks, and they step up to bigger bucks. And pretty soon they get pretty good at killing two-year-olds and the occasional three-year-old. And there's such a difference between, you know, four, five, and six-year-olds than there is two-year-olds and the occasional three-year-old that um, you have to set up and hunt all different. And most people are hunting deer. They're hunting the, the, the sign, the traditional areas and stuff. And uh, what I, sorry about that. Oh, you're good. What I'm hunting is, uh, is the spots where people don't go, the height spots, the spots where giant bucks will go. And if you keep that mindset, if other people are going there, those big bucks aren't there. Those spots are so delicate. If you hunt them more than twice a year, you usually screw them up. So if somebody else is there. It's already been hunted. I'm moving on. Yeah. So it's not a matter of I don't want to interrupt their hunt or, you know, who was there first. Or, I just don't want to be where other people go. Period. Yeah. So, right. I mean, I've had plenty of places where I was killing good deer. On a regular basis, I'd go in there once a year, maybe every other year, and I'd usually have a confrontation with a big buck. If somebody finds it, somebody figures it out, they see it on a video, they move in on me, or they, um, or they just they're good and they find it. Yeah. However, they get there, they get there. Generally, they start overhunting it right away. Even if they hunt it four times a year, they're overhunting it, and it usually goes dead. And once it goes dead, you know why would I even want to go over there? So I just right. leave and go find another area. So that's one of the reasons you got to have a lot of backup areas. You got to keep scouting. You got to keep finding stuff. There's a lot of hunters out there. There's a lot of people covering a lot of ground. And really, if you think about it, with that many hunters out there covering that much ground, if those bucks went in those areas, they would not live to be six or seven years old. They can't be where those hunters are. They, they couldn't survive. So you got to find the spots where they can survive. So generally it's in a spot where nobody would ever dream there's a big buck there. That's a pretty common thing. When I find a buck, a big buck, or I kill a big buck, you're looking at it and saying, nobody would ever believe you shot it there. If, if any of the people around here are hunting. Right. So just keep that in mind. Just, uh, you got to avoid those, uh, those other hunters because that's not where the big bucks are. Now you could kill bucks there. But then you get in that mindset, you just keep killing that two-year-old buck over and over and over again. You know, that, that you know, and when I say two-year-old, you know, most areas in the Midwest, that two-year-old is just about pulpit young. Mm -hmm. So most guys are shooting them. I mean, a lot of guys will call two-year-olds like little six-pointers and stuff. But that ain't necessarily true, or at least not to the areas I hunt. Some areas that yeah. probably is true. But. Yeah. 
Yep. One thing I would say is like if you're hunting in Pennsylvania and you're on public land, you're going to see ribbon and stuff in the woods. It's like what they you just got to find with those that they aren't though, you know. Yeah. On um, the on the other hand, you do see old stands like like what you're referring to, or, yeah. or ribbons and stuff that are old. People have been everywhere. It's a matter of yeah. if they're active. Right. Right. All right. Jacob had a question. Jacob, thanks for joining the membership, man. He says, would you rather kill a 145-inch buck you had multiple years of history with or a 160 deer in the rut you had no idea was there? I'm taking the 160 probably. Can I can I see pictures of them? <laughs> nope. Just I, don't, imagine I don't really care too much about score, um, honestly. Yeah. Um, but it would really matter kind of the look of the deer and kind of yeah. – what kind of history I have with it? Yeah, it's like 160 inch. Six I would pointer. probably take the the 160, honestly. Um, yeah, but uh, I mean, I've seen some 145 inch bucks. That, I mean, think about that 140 inch eight pointer I got. That's got yeah, 13 inch nines. You, mm-hmm. you you know, um, I would take that buck at 140 inches over a 150 inch ten pointer any day. Yep, yep, yep. So yep, I mean, it's a hard question to yeah, answer. It's a hard LM asked, how do you guys keep from wasting so much time when they, how do new guys keep from wasting so much time when they are learning the fundamentals? Just enjoy the process, man. Yep. Those are the best years of your life. I can remember being in such a rush to be somebody, to get somewhere, to, you know, kill all these bucks. And I look back now and I think, man, those are the best days of my life. And I, I yep. you know, that learning process and that learning time is magical. Enjoy it. Don't be in such yep. a rush. Yep. It's not really wasting time. Just spend your time out there. Do what you got to do. Just keep moving forward and you'll get better and better. And uh, pretty soon you'll be knocking down like crazy. And if you got if you got the bug that bad where you're worried about how fast you can you can get to the top. Trust me, it won't take long. Yeah. Um. There's a quote that it's in my head. I can't can't think of it exactly, but it's something along the lines of um, love the love the love the process, not the outcome, and the outcome yeah. will come. You know. Uh, let's see here. Flint must be hunting in Tennessee this year. He says, uh, "When is the best time to scout far away properties?" He says, "I have a velvet hunt coming up in August, but only certain WMAs are open. Closest one is three hours away." So that time, (laughs) well, I don't know about that. If you're hunting them in August, I'd probably go there. It may be good to go like a couple days before season and just start glassing bean fields and stuff. Yeah, they might be in acorns too. Yeah, true. But uh, you're you're right. I mean, you could walk the edge of those bean fields, look at tracks. Um, You could glass the bean fields if if it's actual hunting time, Mm -hmm. and uh, you can walk into the uh, oak trees and look. I think uh, personally, at that time of the year, I probably wouldn't even scout till it was hunting. If I was scouting that early, yeah, and then I would just uh, walk the edge of that bean field, um, look at the tracks. I might get there a couple days earlier and glass some fields. I think that's a real good idea. But I think a lot of them that you'll kill will be in uh, oak flats, and those oak flats uh, you're gonna have to get in there and walk around. But you're gonna have to be careful about how you walk around so you don't 
blow them out of there. I mean, think about that hunt you did last year, um, uh, opening opening weekend uh, in what was it, Nebraska? Yeah, you slipped in and you just you followed that uh, into the oak trees, if I'm correct. Yeah, you bought yep. one, you backed yep. out, you came in the next day, and you ended up killing it. Yeah, um, but you didn't necessarily have to bump it. I mean, if you found a sign and you set up the next day, you would have killed it. Um, yeah, so. I think that's a, a, a really good option is to just slide in and I mean, you can glass the bean field. So you can get there early and you can do that glassing, but uh, depending on where you are and how much pressure there are, there's a good chance other people are glassing too. Yeah, it could be. You can see it from roads. Right. I've never been there in August. I'm not sure what the pressure is like. Um, well, I've gotten on a lot of them in early September. That's, that's how I'm yeah. basically. You, yeah. You know, right. That way my whole life here. Yeah. I just would imagine August in Tennessee, that has to be super early for them. You know, it's hot down there until probably November. So um, you should probably not wear shoes and wear shorts and kick every rattlesnake you see. You see. <laughs> yeah. Get in the water with the copperheads and swim <laughs> around. Uh, let's see here. Steve has a question Have you ever tried to make a buck bed like a mock scrape? Yeah, I, I have um with mixed results um but i really think that uh, you can enhance a buck bedding area that's already there but making beds is not really a, a great option i think you could make beds if it's in water and you and you create a high spot like some pellets and then you put dirt on top of them in a in a cattail marsh that would definitely become a bedding spot mm. if you get uh, 10 of those in a in a small like quarter acre spot you could do it but the trouble with uh, creating beds, and uh, I always, and I don't mean this to be egotistical or anything, it's just what I've learned over the years of buck bedding. I always laugh when I watch these so-called experts make these videos about making buck beds and making buck bedding areas. And uh, when I used to do a lot of land consultations and go scout people's properties, I'd see some of these properties where these so-called pros would set up beds and you'd look at it like the wind's wrong and stuff. And you're like, what? What are they thinking? Bucks, when they when they find a bedding area and they bed there, they're doing it based on how the wind flows and how the thermals are. And that's why they're on those edges. That's why they're on spots so you can see out and stuff. And uh, when you try to create that, it's not very easy. And you don't understand what the deer is smelling and what he's seeing. And uh, it's pretty hard to be perfect. I mean, just look at it like this. I mean, you can find a really perfect setup for a, a buck bed. Kill that buck. And the next year, another buck will be there. The year after that, another buck will be there. And you can leave that spot and come back 20 years later, and there'll be a buck there, bedding there. Yeah. Why is that? Because it's the perfect spot. Everything flows together. Creating that spot. You can create spots where bucks bed. But creating a spot where a six- or seven-year-old deer will bed, that's a pretty difficult task. I think yeah. uh, they have to have everything perfect. I think you're way more likely to find that spot. Now, you can take an area that deer bed, and it ain't necessarily a big buck and you can enhance it. You can cut some trees. You can, you can put down a tree so that it's laying sideways about where the thermal thermal should occur and get them to lay beside it. And you can enhance those areas and that'll bring bucks on your property and bigger bucks. But to actually create a bed, a specific bed, I think is um, doable, but you're not going to do it for mature bucks. Um, it's going to be so rare that you're actually successful on mature bucks that I don't think it's worth the effort. 
Yeah. I can't wait for him like for like a year from now, Dan gets on here and starts complaining about all the pallets laying around in the marshes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's all you're thinking about is oh I got some pallets out there. Yeah, he has some pallets now. <laughs> they make a those will work because you create you create a spot where there's all water, you know. Yeah. But, uh you still should be looking for like like if you ask me, if you created those pellets from a landmass out into a point, you made them in a point. So they had their point. I mean, they could bet on the tip one, and the satellites can bet in a little further, and they can know if danger is going to come, it's going to come down that point. But like if outdoor you, carpet on top of one of them for them. Yeah. I mean, there's ways to, there's <laughs> ways to do it, and there's ways to make it, but it's just. You know, yeah, it's just to be a lot of work, wouldn't it? It's a lot it of work, and and uh, the likelihood of creating some perfect place, unless you have the perfect scenario like that cattail marsh underwater that's got some brush out there and it's got the spot to put it, and you know that's going to be a good spot. You mm-hmm. still got to know a lot about betting, but it, unless you have that perfect scenario, it's a pretty difficult task. Yeah. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like I said before, I mean, if you think about the uh, the tamarack swamp I was talking about. Bucks bed everywhere in there. Beds everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Still, we're killing the big bucks, the mature ones, in specific key areas that are small, right? Yep. So you can have thousands and thousands of beds out there that no buck ever beds in there after a certain age. Yeah. You know, and that's what people are creating. You'll get deer to bed there. I mean, you could literally go into woods. And dig dirt and turn it over. And trust me, you can put a camera over. Try this. Dig dirt and put it over. If it's a halfway decent spot, a deer will start bedding there. Yeah. You put a camera over there and look at the size of the deer. Right. Right. Because they like that fresh dirt. I just I'm just imagining in my head people like building these real real nice like dog houses on pallets for deer and floating them out in the marsh for the deer. Yeah. Eric Eric can start building them for people. Right, right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> COVID Crotch 19. What are, what are username? He has he asked, have you ever had a buck stalk you? He said last winter on private, I swear a buck would follow me back to the area I camped and bedded on a hill watching me only 60 yards away. They're known for uh keeping an eye on uh on people. They bed watching the accesses right next to the roads, right next to the farmhouses. So I don't doubt that one bit. I've had, uh, I, I don't think I've ever been stalked by one or had something yeah. like that happen. That seems a little weird. But I, I can tell you there's been times when I'm hunting a deer and it would aggressively mark me. Like if I'd go hunt a spot, mm-hmm. after I'd leave, it would come in and like put scrapes around the tree and aggressively rub the trees all around that tree. And you know that because there's no rubs there when you're there. And you come back through the next day to go one step further and, and it's all tore up and you're like, what the hell? And then you go to the next spot, and after you're done, that same buck would rip that up. Um, it was kind of interesting. I mean, uh, we actually did get a crack at that buck at one of those spots. He came back and started ripping up the trees real aggressively. He was walking stiff-legged, and it wasn't me, but my buddy um, got a shot at that deer. He, we, he didn't end up recovering it, but uh, mm-hmm. but that particular deer was real aggressive. Anytime we went into his, his core area, every deer's got a different attitude. Yeah, he got aggravated, huh? Yeah, he thought he was Superman. He could take uh, he could take us on. All right, let's do a couple more guys. Photo Bob, thanks for joining the membership. Photo Bob, he asked, uh, 
mature bucks i hunt rarely bed during season where they do in the summer do you scout bedding in the summer we covered this a little bit last on tuesday uh, um, not, not a whole lot because uh where they bed in the summer is not where they bed in the fall kind of like you're saying yeah um sometimes they do but most of the time where they bed in the fall is different yep 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 we were talking about uh, on tuesday that you know the deer um, when we're scouting in the summertime, you know, oftentimes you're you're just scouting terrain features or, um, you know, transitions, things like that, that are, are common places for deer to be in the fall. You know, in summer, right. like in these marshes and stuff, I start finding they, they just bed like into the cattails and stuff, more into the water, and the beds don't seem as secure. It seems like they mm -hmm. seem more worried about staying cool. Yep. Yep. All right, Zeke Outdoors has one for us. Zeke, thanks for joining as well, man. Um, he says, you ever hunt a buck a while till old age and find it after it dies of old age? Um, yeah, I got, uh, I think, two big bucks I found dead that I hunted. Found them in their bedding areas scouting. Mm -hmm. In both cases, I didn't know they were dead till I found them. In one in one case, it was a really big eight pointer, and uh, I was watching them all the way up until season, and then I never saw him during season, but kept hopping around trying to. And I'm like, he's got to be here somewhere. So it was a small area, and never found him. And then in spring, I went in there and I was gonna like scout that down and figure out how's that, how am I missing that deer? And I found him in his bedding area, and he was uh, um, in velvet, and the horns were soft under the velvet, like the velvet was crusting off. But he was dead the whole season. Hmm. So he died right when I was watching him. I don't know. Maybe he got one of the bugs or whatever. What do they call yeah. that? You guys or... Yeah, you guys get that a lot. Yeah. We get it every now and then up here, but not as much as yeah. But you. Yep. I found one I was hunting a couple years ago, probably three years ago. I actually missed him. Um, I found him this spring. Dead. Looked like he died the year I missed him, too. He, he was pretty eaten up and everything or you know rotten but that's the only one i think i've actually found that i was hunting um i found them in my uncle's taxidermy shop a whole bunch of times yeah every year that happens uh some deer i have on camera ends up in there uh let's see here uh this is something i was going to ask last week and i kind of forgot about it do you ever sit uh john ask you ever sit on stands in the summertime and watch deer i think it's a great idea i used to do it a lot when i was younger i haven't done it in a long time but i should mm -hmm. but the trouble is you you got to be careful about it what we call that is observation stands yeah you know i've been i've been doing it a little bit right before season but i used to do it a lot like from june on um when i was younger more aggressive and uh definitely i, I had a lot of deer i located doing stuff like that and uh and got on them but uh um the thing is to make sure that your wind and your scent trail is not going to be anywhere near that deer is going to walk and we talked about this a little i think last week you got to have good optics good binoculars you know high power ones uh, a good spotting scope and you've got to be a distance from them and somewhere where he ain't never going to get to because if you spook them it's over right yeah but get into a spot where you can see several fields, get up a tree real high, 
That's why you need good optics. You need to be able to see a distance. And you can cover a hell of a lot more than you can cover with a trail camera. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, in summer, those deer, those big bucks, those older ones, will get into uh, really. <laughs> Did you throw it into the water or something? No. Yeah, I just threw it in the Lost my point. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. The point is, yeah, it's a good idea to get up in a tree stand and look for deer. As long as you uh, have a good escape route and not not bumping them off fields, have good optics to do it with. Right. I think you covered it pretty well. I think you were wrapping it up, honestly. Um, let's do a couple more here. We got some 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 quick ones. Paul asks, "Do you shoot does in your buck areas even before you get your buck?" Dan. Uh, sometimes. Depends on the it depends on the area, my confidence in the area, and if I plan on coming back. Yeah. So um, a lot of times I'll shoot a doe, um, like right before closing time, in a buck area that I'm not going to come back to. Um, but I can say that that has haunted me a time or two. Um, I think uh, last season, early in the season. Um, I did a stand that I wasn't real confident in, but I had something going on. I had some trail camp pictures going off, a lot of deer activity all of a sudden. And I thought, well, maybe something's going on here. I'm going to just watch it because I can see a bigger area and it's a decent spot. And then I thought, you know what? It's a good opportunity for me. I'll shoot doe just before dark. There's been a lot of them coming out here. And uh, a doe came out, was wandering around in front of me. I was watching it forever. Nothing else moving. Put an arrow through the doe. It runs into the brush. I watch it die. And I glance off to my right. And there's a buck standing there. And I'm like, oh, that's, that might even be a shooter. It obviously watched me shoot that deer. It doesn't know I'm in a tree, but it saw something happened. Yeah, right. And it's kind of like alert. Its ears are up. And like, what the heck just happened? So I'm watching it. And I'm like, I don't know if I'd shoot that or not. It was, you know, probably Pope and Young, but barely. You know, right yeah. in that uh, big two-year-old small three-year-old kind of range and you're like i don't know you know come a little closer and i'll let you know you know so i'm watching he's out about 75 100 yards and i'm watching him and something out of my peripheral catches my my attention and i look down and there's this giant buck walking underneath me i grabbed my bow and i ended up uh i that's the one i shot in the neck when it looked up at me yeah but i don't think that buck would have ever looked up I think it would have walked right in. I think it would have killed it cleanly, easily, if I had never shot that doe. Yeah. Right. But I, at that time, I didn't even know that buck existed. But when I left, I got down and pulled the card out of a camera I had nearby, and it was full of them for the last three days. Mm-hmm. That was a regular camera, and the camera that was going off like crazy was a cell cam. So uh, it can hurt you. But yep. uh, I do not specifically hunt does. Right. Um, I think it's a waste of time. So if, 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 uh, say, say, uh, um, I want to go on a doe hunt for a weekend or something, right? That's two, three days. I could be out of state hunting bucks someplace else. Right. You know, even if I don't have a buck tag that weekend or whatever, mm-hmm. I want to, I want to be hunting bucks as much as possible. If you want to put as much bone on your wall as possible or as big yeah. as possible, the more hours in stand is probably the number one ingredient. Yeah. So right. spending time shooting does does not do that. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, I like having meat. I like making sure I have a little extra. So I like shooting does, but um, I'm tending to like shooting them during gun season a little more because I do those drives and stuff and then they ain't really hurting nothing. Right, 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 right. All right. One more here, guys. I'm sorry if we didn't get to all your guys' questions. Goomer22, he had a question that kind of went off what we were talking about earlier about pressure. Um, it says, how far from hunter sign do you stay uh, away from? He says, does it depend on the hunter sign? He's like, what if you find good deer sign with tree stands and trail cameras 50 yards away? Do you hunt it or do you avoid it? Um, if it's a uh, big buck sign and you think it's in a good area, I would probably try to figure out where that deer is coming from or going from, because I think if it's coming through there on a regular basis, that guy would have killed it. And if it's, uh, um, either the sign is real new or, I mean, if it's a real big buck, he's figured out that that guy's there, especially if there's a stand and a camera there, the guy's been there a few times. So, um, the sign could have been before he put the camera stand there. Um, it could be done at night, but I would have to say 50 yards is too close. I'd say 50 yards. That guy is onto that buck. The buck's onto him. It's a bad situation of something where you're hunting something right at the edge of dark and, I would probably look at a map and try to figure out, well, I would take it as a, if I had a confrontation with that buck there. Where is he yep. coming from? Where is he going to? And I'm going to try and figure that out and move from there. I, I don't want to be anywhere near that guy. Yep. So how far is too far? How far is, I mean, how far is too close? I don't know if the guy's actively hunting it, I'd say probably 100 yards. But I have had some pretty good success uh, on a guy who's set up on a bedding area. And he's 100 yards from the bedding area on a trail I use every year. And you see that the stand's kind of permanent. It's kind of grown in a little bit, he's, but he's actively using it. You start finding those deer still bed there, but they know that guy exists and they, they the bigger bucks will swing to the downwind side, the predominant downwind side, just out of view and the next transition over. And I've had that, I've had success with that. Doesn't mean that's every time. A lot of times they'll just abandon it. Mm-hmm. But I have seen where big bucks will bed there anyways and then move around, uh, like circle the area where the hunter right. is. Right. Yeah. If, if if you're seeing a bunch of sign in, that, in whatever sign you're seeing, like a tree stand or something's only 50 yards away, you may want to question if they're actively using it, you know. It may mm-hmm. have gotten abandoned or something. So something to, something to think about, Goomer. All right, everybody. Thanks for everybody that joined the uh, membership tonight. We got a handful of guys that joined. Appreciate that. Um, everybody have a good night and we'll talk to you guys next next week sometime. Thanks everybody. All right.